Hey, what's up, everybody? I am John Ricard. This is Camera Work Podcast. I think we're up to number 64. I need to kind of look that up to be sure. So we're getting more views on iTunes than YouTube. But the weird thing about iTunes is you don't really get any feedback. On YouTube, at least, people will sometimes leave a comment. And I always respond back to the comments. But if you're listening on iTunes, I would love it if you found a way to just comment about what you like on the podcast or maybe what you don't like, or just what brings you to the podcast. How did you find out about it? I really love to know more about the people who listen to the podcast. And again, on iTunes, I just don't get any information like that. So last week, we were talking about Instagram. And I wanted to talk a little more about Instagram, and it's something I watched a webinar last night. Well, it wasn't a webinar, she called it a masterclass, because for some reason, every presentation today must be called a masterclass. There's no more classes, they're all masterclasses, apparently. But in this one, they, they made a point, or at least got me thinking about something, and it went like this. Let's say you look at someone's Instagram feed. Now, you might have a feed that doesn't really have a purpose. Maybe you're just trying to do a diary of your life. You're not trying to sell anything. You're not really trying to market anything. That's all good. But let's say you're a photographer and you actually want the feed to do something for you. Kind of two ways you could go about it. You could be trying to show a whole lot of pretty pictures. And honestly, I think that's what I've been doing with my feed for a really long time. Lately, it's been just beauty pictures. I've been trying to focus it to one type of content. I actually maintain three different Instagram accounts because I shoot three different, more than three different types of things, but I find you can't mix all the different content on Instagram. But if you're just showing pretty pictures and someone looked at your feed, if you asked an outsider the question, what is this person selling? Would that person be able to answer what you're selling. If you're just, say you're showing beautiful landscape pictures and all the people who follow you love looking at landscape pictures. Okay, that's great. You got a ton of followers. You got 100,000 followers. All people who love looking at your landscape pictures. It's good, but what are you selling? How do you make money on this account? What is it that these people are supposed to do to give you money? What do you have set up like that? And it's something that honestly, I never thought of it in that exact way. You know, maybe you could be promoting workshops or maybe you're trying to sell prints of the landscape images or whatever. But if you created the account and you're just thinking, well, I'm going to put up a whole lot of pretty pictures of landscapes and then say magazines are going to find me and hire me to shoot landscapes for them. Well, there's not that many landscape magazines out there. You could have 100,000 followers, but there's 15 people who have the power to hire you for a landscape magazine. So that really might not be the best way to go with the account might make more sense to really figure out what can you sell on the account and can you make that clear? Like who are you targeting as actual customers? People who want landscape workshops or people who want landscape prints or if you're shooting people, people who need graduation pictures or whatever, really trying to target that account, not just making it pretty pictures. And if you're really trying to make them understand what you can do for them or what you can sell to them, then it's not really all about the pretty pictures. Part of it needs to be about the process. What is it that you do and how do you do it? You need that information to be coming through on the account. This is what we do and this is how we do it. So maybe 50% of what's on that account are pretty pictures, but the other 50% is about who we are as a brand and how we do what we do. And I had a thought about what people consider a good opportunity. Like imagine you're a photographer and you have a thing you do. People hire you to take pictures. Let's say your average rate is $500. And I, offered, I said to you, what would be a good opportunity for you? 
you might be thinking a good opportunity for you is to get a shoot that pays $600 instead of $500 because that's more money than you're used to making. But in my view, that opportunity, it's a good opportunity, you're going to make more money than you normally make, but it's not an amazing opportunity because it's right in line with what you normally do. To me, a really good opportunity in your business is when you get a chance to do something that's way out of left field for what you normally do. So although you're consistently booking, let's say, $500 shoots, and someone offers you a chance to speak at a convention or some type of gathering of people, and it's not paid, that's actually a better opportunity for you than another $500 shoot or now a new $600 shoot because it's taking you to something you've never done before. It's taking you out of your comfort zone. It's opening a potentially new door. And I find with me that I offer people that type of opportunity pretty often. I'll be working with whatever makeup artist and I'll say, oh, you know, why don't you do a workshop here? And I can see they're scared of that because it's different. Because what they want to hear or what they recognize as an opportunity is another opportunity to do what they always do. I see it with photographers as well. I just see it everywhere where people are so comfortable in their lane they want to stay there or just the inability to recognize what is a good opportunity. I've had times where like um, I've offered photographers the use of my studio and they might not be studio photographers. You know, maybe I'm making some kind of trade or something. And then their attitude is, well, I don't shoot studio, so that's valueless to me. And I'm thinking it's very valuable because I pay a ton of money for rent in Manhattan for this space. I know it's valuable and I know how much money I've made in this room. I know it's valuable. But because that person has never done studio photography, they think it's not valuable. Whereas to me, if I'm the person giving you something that you've never had before, the ability to do studio photography, that is tremendously valuable, tremendously valuable. It's taking you completely out of what you normally do and potentially opening a new door. That's the real opportunity, not, oh, you're a party photographer and here's another party gig or I'm going to introduce you to another person who needs party pictures. Good opportunity, but not a great opportunity. So I think people really should take the time to examine as these opportunities come up in the course of your day or your week, try to really think differently about what is a good opportunity because it might be what you're not looking for. And I know the times that people have offered me something out of left field, I try to jump on it every time. I try to jump on it because I realize it's something different and it might put me in a different space and give me a better ability to make money or something along that lines. I think a lot of times we tend to, there's almost like a group think that goes on in society where everyone thinks the same way. Like we all need an iPhone. We all need to be on Instagram. We all need to be mirrorless cameras now. And people don't want to think out of the box or they don't think differently. And I was having this thought about the rock bands in the 70s. Now you go back to the 70s and even the 80s, you couldn't record a concert. You couldn't bring an audio recorder in and Filming wasn't even popular back then and for regular people, so you certainly couldn't bring in a film camera. Now, in hindsight, all of these rock bands that said, you cannot make an audio recording of our concert, every one of them was making a mistake because when 30 years passed, they were all scrambling to find any kind of material that they could put on these reissues of the CDs and box sets and things like that. They're looking for anything. If the house, meaning like the arena, recorded the concert on VHS tape, horrible quality, they want that tape and they're going to release it. If a fan bootlegged a show, they want it. And there are groups that have very little material for whatever reason. Their fans weren't recording a lot of stuff and they don't have anything to put on these releases. But what's interesting when you think about it is 
Every band just kind of followed the same policy. You can't record a show, you can't record the show, you can't record the show. Not one band independently thought to themselves, well, we don't care if you tape the show, who cares? We don't think we're going to lose any money. We think if you record the concert, you're still going to buy all our albums, you're going to buy our t-shirt, we're not going to lose a dime from you taping the show. And even if you sell the concert on audio cassette to people and you make four or $500, we're not losing any money, we're still going to make our money. But not one band thought that way. And had they thought that way, right now they'd be in a very good situation because they'd be able to put those audio tapes on the re-releases of the CDs or the box set, they would make money. But every band just thinks exactly the same way. None of them independently said, does it bother me that people are taping a concert? They just said, well, every band says you can't record the show, so we're going to say the same thing. And I think that same type of mentality is what happens today. So you're a photographer who shoots parties, you're a party photographer. You shoot parties, all your friends shoot parties. And then someone gives you this strange opportunity. Hey, I'll trade you three days in my studio for whatever it is. And then you're thinking, well, none of my friends shoot in a studio, why would I bother? And then you don't take the opportunity. And you don't ever get out of that rut. You end up staying in that same spot for 10 years. So maybe we make a point as we listen to this to really be aware of opportunities and to try to think differently. And the people we admire tend to think different. That's the crazy thing. When we look at the people we admire in history, they are the ones who thought differently, not the ones who just did the same thing as everyone else. So let's not be afraid to do that. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about, someone had asked me about five tips. He said, why don't you do five tips for working in the music industry if you're working with like artists or if you're working with record labels. So it's actually going to be four, you'll see. But here we go. Number one, backup gear. If you're shooting events, you need your backup gear really, really on point. So last night I photographed a party. It was the uh, chairman, he's the chairman of Columbia Records, Ron Perry. He had a birthday party, a couple of celebrities there. I shot the entire event on Nikon D3S and 17 to 35 millimeter lens. But on my shoulder was also a Nikon D3S with a 24 to 70 that I never touched. Also the Leica M10 with the 24 millimeter lens was there, um, ready to go as well. So that backup gear, not only is it in my bag, it's actually on me at the same time. And I think one of the differences between an amateur and a pro is the idea that you have backup gear. The backup gear is as good as the professional gear if you need to go to it, and it's instantly accessible and you really know how to work that backup gear. Step number two, I think you should realize that no matter what the environment is when you're working with an artist, those people are not your friends and you're not part of the group. And I remember being one time, um, I was photographing the game, and we were on, the, on a tour bus with him, and they had a guy there, and they said he looked like the villain in Despicable Me. And at this point, I had never seen the movie. I have a daughter now, so I've seen it. I didn't know what the villain looked like, and then somebody pulled up a picture of him, and they somehow got it to project on a screen in the tour bus, like on a monitor. Maybe they had the DVD or something, but they put the image up, the guy looked exactly like the guy from Despicable Me, the pointy nose, the skin tone, the body weight, everything. And everybody's laughing hysterically. And I wanted to laugh because it was funny. It was good natured. They weren't teasing the guy. It was funny. I wanted to laugh because it was funny. But I can't laugh because I'm not part of that group. If I laugh, I'm going to be the person that he turns to and says, like, hey, what's so funny? You know, what are you laughing at? And I'm going to end up in a situation. I'm not part of that group. 
at that moment, I feel like I'm part of the group because everyone's been nice to me. They've been cooperative. They've let me invade their personal space with my camera, sitting next to people, taking pictures. I might get into a conversation with them. But ultimately, I am not a part of that group. And I remember another time, I and mean, this is many years ago, I was photographing at Bobby Brown's house. It was like where he lived with Whitney Houston at the time. And we were in, I guess, like a guest house that he had where it was a recording studio. And my wife was with me, which is very rare, but it was such a deep drive into Jersey. I guess I wanted someone to help me navigate and drive. And this is before GPS, and it's very difficult to drive these like dark streets in Jersey and stuff. And he was the nicest, most friendliest person I just ever met, so hospitable. And everything that he was saying to us made us feel like we could just stay there all night. This was gonna be an all night recording session. And although I'm there to do a specific job, get the shot and leave, he made me feel like we could just stay as long as we want. He was so hospitable, he's offering us food and all of this stuff. And I knew in my head, we can't stay. We need to do the job and we need to leave. I remember him giving us directions, trying to get us back to the highway. And he kept saying, if you get lost, just come back. Don't worry. Just come back and I'll have somebody drive and escort you away or whatever. But again, I have to maintain that distance. He's not my friend. He's, he's not even a client. The record label's the client. He's just somebody that I'm photographing. So I think you have to maintain that distance. And I've had situations where I've had friends try to get too close or too comfortable with artists where they think, oh, because I'm hanging out with this guy all day. He's my boy now, he's not your boy. You have to maintain a certain distance and be professional, make an impression on people, be memorable, and over time, maybe you can really build a good relationship, but don't overstep that boundary too early. Um, number three is, a lot of times if I'm working for a client, and for me that tends to be music industry, if, if they leave you alone, you, there's no problem. If there's an event, whatever it is, let's say it's a birthday party for some executive or it's an album listening party for an artist or it's just some kind of event, an album signing. If you leave me alone, I'm gonna get every shot. I'm gonna just run around. I get nervous if I stop shooting for two minutes, so I just end up shooting everything. And if I don't know who the people are that are present, then I'm definitely trying to just shoot everybody because I'm so afraid of missing someone that I need it down the line. So I'm shooting a lot. But occasionally they will stick a person to you and that person will sort of supervise what you're doing in, over the course of the evening. And the weird thing is, is that this person is always telling you, don't shoot things. Every time you say to that person, should I get this, should I get this, they go, no, it's okay, no, we don't need that, we don't need that, no, you'd have to get that. And they will let you stand there and talk to them for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're chit-chat, you're having conversations, you're eating the food, drinking the drinks of whatever is at this event, you're just chilling, and they're saying, well, we just need a shot of the president with the artist and the plaque or whatever. But sure enough, when you operate that way, the next day, that same person calls you up and says, did you get the signage of the, you know, the liquor that was in the front of the bar? Or did you get this person who came at 10 p.m.? And you're saying, no, I didn't get that person. You were right there with me. You were telling me don't get this person or we don't need this or we don't need that. But you have to remember, when that person goes into the office the next day, you're not there and it's very easy for them to sell you out. It's easy for them to say, well, John didn't get the shot. They might not mention that they didn't ask you to get the shot or they told you not to get the shot. You're not there to represent yourself the next day. It's just this body of work that everyone's looking at and saying, well, we're missing this, we're missing that, we're missing the other. So I think if you're working event type things, 
Make sure you get everything that you think needs to be covered. Don't just rely on that person who's with you who might be saying, we don't need this covered. So really try to take it upon yourself to get what needs to be gotten. Um, next would be uh, in the music. It's specifically if you're in the music business, to shooting music things never crossed the line. This should be really obvious, but I had an assistant one time who did it and it really irked me. Never crossed the line and try to give someone a demo or something. I couldn't believe it. I was shooting executive portraits at Universal Records and I had an assistant and we're talking and everything and then he pulls out a demo and he's like, yeah, this is my friend's band. I'm just cringing. I mean, that's super obvious. Ultimately my fault, I should have an assistant that understood better how inappropriate that was. But my last don't is actually a do, which would be if you're dealing with people in the music business, I think for the most part you can actually be honest about the music. I've been in the room with music artists or music executives and I've said to them, well, I don't really like this band or this genre of music doesn't really speak to me or I like the previous album this person put out, but I can't really get into this one yet. I don't think people are ever really just looking for yes people. People appreciate honesty. And obviously you don't want to be a jackass about it. You don't want to stand there and say to an artist, well, I think you need to go back to doing rock or you need to put more guitar or step up your lyricism. I mean, that's insane. You're not going to do that. But I think you, there is room for you to be honest about how you feel about the music you're witnessing or the music you're listening if you're photographing something in the music business delicately. But I don't think you need to lie and be a yes person. You don't have to act. I've had a million, like, teen R&B groups that I've photographed, you know, like Pretty Ricky or whatever, or 112, they're not expecting that I'm really listening to their music. I'm not the target audience for what they put out. And it's okay for them to understand that, yeah, I connect with you guys as people and I'm cool with you guys and I like photographing you, but I don't necessarily go home and listen to your album. This is the music I like. And they might respect that because maybe they like that same music too. You tell them I like Tupac, whatever. They go, yeah, we love Tupac. And there's your connection. Doesn't have to be with them. You don't want to be fake like that. People can always see through that. All right, so that was four. It was supposed to be five don'ts, but I gave you four don'ts and one do, which is to be honest about the music, okay? All right, so that's gonna wrap it up for this camera work um, episode. If you want to contact me, Instagram is a great way to do it. It's just John Ricard on Instagram, J-O-H-N-R-I-C-A-R-D. Would love to know what you want us to talk about here. And thank you for listening. You have a lot of choices. So when you choose this, I'm honored. Thank you.